0: And we're back, Mike Cernovich, Cernovich Cernovich.com. If you're listening to this at anywhere other than rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich, go to Rockfin, hit the endorse button, and be sure to check out all the exclusive videos, back podcast library, and everything else there at rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich. Today we have a great guest, sort of a life is a full circle, you know, life is a full circle kind of uh, vibe and That's Nick Gabriel. He has a different last name. And, you know, when I was very young, I read a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And there's a chapter there on how you should know how to pronounce people's names. And and I should know by now. But Nick G, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm good, my brother. It's Gregory. It's, it's a tough one. It took me till I was about seven or eight years old before I could say it myself. So I get where you're coming from.
0: Well, and I don't mind because people call me Mike, son of a bitch, Cernovich, Saranovich, uh, so so for me i don't feel there was a, a running gag where people would think that i would mispronounce someone's name as a like an alpha thing oh i don't even know your name but it, it really isn't that at all it's just bad with names mm-hmm. I, no, I totally get it man i'm not holding any grudge so how, how have you been man it's been been a while i think yeah bro uh
1: i've been well i've been well it's um you know, we, we've we've spoken in private about this before, and I've I've shared it on my own podcast. I went through a very very difficult patch last year when um, I got divorced, which I wasn't expecting, and um, took me right to the to the the darkest place I've ever been. And it's been a tough journey climbing out of that hole. But I'm I'm out of the hole now, and I'm I'm seeing the the light, and I'm seeing the all the blessings and the gifts that, that actually has come with. So. I'm good, man. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to, to have come through that. I'm grateful to be alive.
0: Yeah. Divorces, man, they mess guys up a lot. I noticed that I've, I've had a couple of friends go through them. And I, th- I think I'm the only guy I know who went through a divorce and was like good about it. <laughs> Everybody else I know tends to get there, get rattled a little bit. So what, what's that? It's just a jarring feeling. You think? Uh, Yeah, man. I think when you, it's the, the analogy that always or the image
1: that always comes to my mind is this idea of like, um, like an ocean liner. If you can think of your life as analogous to an ocean liner, right? It's got all this, this momentum and it's headed in a certain direction. Uh, and then when something comes along and just, you know, it forces you to change course that you weren't expecting, it takes a lot of energy to re steer that, that huge vessel, in a new direction because you you put so much stock and so much energy and so much faith in this one course that you'd navigated or that you'd charted. And now all of a sudden you're realizing you can't go that way anymore. And so I think that's the thing that gets men a lot is you have someone who you think is your best friend and you think is on your team forever and that you guys are like in it, you know, together it's ride or die. And meanwhile, that person doesn't feel that way. And they are like, um, secretly planning their escape um or their escape is probably a strong word but they're secretly, secretly planning to just jettison you and when that happens it's like it's a, sh- a huge blow to your ego as well when you realize there were certain things that you did that you know made them feel that way and that it's you know this it, it, it highlights a lot of your flaws and your shortcomings and it's um it's it's pretty tough on the ego for someone for a man who like thinks he's doing his best and thinks he's doing everything as well as he can to get to the point where someone says they just can't can't be with you anymore it's 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 tough on the ego at least it was for me
0: that's probably similar to how a lot of my other guy friends felt too as if you're a more kind of successful guy in our own minds, we think, well, why wouldn't anybody want to be part of that? And that, that of course, is one of the, the paradoxes of relationships and life in general is if you don't have the confidence to believe that you have worth and that people are lucky to be with you and fortunate to be with you, then you won't have relationships. But that same modality of thinking can lead you to get complacent in all mm-hmm. of your relationships and in life more broadly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it can, can lead to blind spots. I mean, I think that there is still, that's true. And I, I, I put my hand up and, and take responsibility for my role in that. And I think a lot of men do as well. But I do think that the, the current zeitgeist, uh, especially in a place like America, is quite, it's quite difficult for men to stay married or for women to stay married. To men, because uh, there is a very, a very clear message within the media that they are deserving of pretty much everything, and that men are lucky to be with them. And so, I think what happens in their minds is they kind of create this expectation of this prince charming who's six foot three and has a, an eight pack and is financially independent and emotionally available and etc, etc, etc. And then if the man doesn't live up to this impossible standard, then because she's been watching The Bachelor and um, all these kinds of shows, she just thinks, oh, well, I'm on to the next one. Um, and so I think that that makes it pretty tough for, for men in the modern age to, uh, to find like a, a real person or a person with, with values and morals and, and someone who's really in it for the long haul.
0: Yeah, you mentioned those shows and I noticed that, that the cultural programming that is unconscious to everyone. I, I use an example. I think a podcast I podcasted it maybe 10 years ago where I hadn't read a magazine in years. And then I found myself reading them. Now nobody, of course, reads magazines. Do they even exist anymore? <laughs> but I found myself wanting all of these things, wanting a watch, wanting a tent, wanting a bunch of things that I would never use at all. And I realized that it all seeped into my unconscious <laughs> mind, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, like I don't need another freaking knife. I don't need the Bear grills, like survival knife. I have better knives. Or I don't need another sleeping bag. My sleeping bag is fine. <laughs> and when you consume, when you consume mass media, you're programming your mind, but you don't realize you're programming your mind because you're you're not on guard. You're thinking, oh, I'm reading a magazine. This is an interesting article. And like, I'll, as an example, Outside Magazine you're reading an article about someone who's interesting or about a life arc that's interesting. And that hypnotizes you almost to be open to the message of consumerism without realizing it. And then you realize, Oh yeah, actually, all of this is about selling you something and getting you to, to buy something that you don't need. And none of these stories are important. And that's why I just read books. Don't read <laughs> magazines. I just read books. Uh-huh. And then, and then, you know, with women, they you know they watch that kind of mass produced stuff and then men of course spend all day looking at asses on instagram and then that mm-hmm, leads to mm-hmm. to men having their own problems
1: yeah it's our culture and in particular the the media that's that's expressed or created through our culture i generally think it doesn't do us any favors and i try to really minimize my consumption of it it's it's interesting that you touched on that this idea that when you when you read a magazine you feel, uh, you know, inspired to cons- to, to purchase because in MJ DeMarco's amazing book, um, unscripted, he, he speaks about how we are trained from a very, very young age to be consumers as opposed to producers. But the interesting thing is that the highest rewards in society go to, to the producers, not the consumers. It's the people that create products and content and art uh, that get the most rewards, right? They're the ones that, that not only do better financially, but also are applauded and lauded by our society. And yet, our society keeps training us to be the complete opposite of that. So, again, it comes down to this thing which I speak about a lot, which I, I've coined the the, um, the law of 180. Um, even Pagan calls it the critical counterintuitive, but it's it's, it's this idea that if you want to attain the, the peaks of the human experience you have to look at what the crowd is doing and turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction it's it's pretty much the only way
0: yeah mass media consumption the unscripted i that's why you have to live i live a sheltered life people go oh how are you raising your children like i'm attachment parenting sheltering and sheltering gets a bad reputation but I, I live a very, I live a very sheltered life. You know, you've known me for years through periods of, you know, high success, ups and downs. And, you know, have you ever seen me with a Rolex, a fillet, or even talking about a watch, right? And no, I haven't actually. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that's largely because I shelter myself from mass media, realizing that we're all, we're all susceptible. We're all programmed to want something now because we see it, because we covet it. That's why curating your own mental life and creating your own physical life, I think is so important. And I call it sheltering. You can call it curating if you want, because that has less maybe societal weight to it. Well, I don't shelter my children. I just curate what they see. I don't shelter my own life. I curate what I see. And I suppose both are true. Although the message fundamentally is the same as there are people trying to get in our brains from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed and they want to be with us and we're asleep.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
0: should be more conscious of that.
1: For sure. I mean I th- I think as well if you look at the, the pattern of the average person's life, it's they uh, wake up and they turn on the TV or the radio or whatever it might be and they start absorbing information when their mind is is pretty much susceptible and they haven't placed any any guards or filters on their mind. And then they go to work, they do their thing. Uh, get home, eat dinner, and then they sit in front of the television and they spend the last few hours before they're going to sleep, once again, absorbing uh, through their eyes, aka the window to the soul, all these liminal and subliminal messages. And then that sinks into their very being, right? And then they wonder why, if they've been watching dramas, uh, their lives are dramatic, or if they've been watching you know, um, stuff that's got the commercial every three minutes, they wonder why their minds are so splintered and fractured and they can't concentrate. It's it's obvious. It's it's obvious, you know. Um I'm, I'm not speaking from a high horse because I, I love watching television every now and then and I, I enjoy shows and things like that. But um, I notice now that I've I've really curtailed it and I I curate it to a high degree as you, as you use that word curator we like that one. Um that man, if I sit down in front of the TV now, it's it's jarring. It's fucking jarring. I, it like it feels like an assault on my senses, especially commercials. I literally, I literally cannot watch commercials. I can't look at them. It's too much for my psyche. Um, and if that's a consequence of being sheltered or overly curating my mind, then so be it. Um, I'll, I'll take the the positives over uh, the negatives any day of the week.
0: It's weird. Yeah, we mentioned commercials because I I definitely don't preach total abstinence in terms of not watching shows or anything, but I do rarely watch anything on TV. And then if I'm every five years, I'm about in the market for a car. It's actually kind of fun when you don't watch TV and you don't know what is out there commercial wise, because, you know, I, I run my car, I buy them used, I run them for five, six years, and then I I get another car and you're, you look, wow, there's, I can't believe the market now, how much everything has changed all of a sudden. You -hmm. feel like you're in a a time capsule. You feel like you're in a Rip Van Winkle nap and you wake Mm -hmm. up and the world is actually more interesting. And now, now I can't decide if I even want a vehicle or if I do, the choices are endless instead of being bombarded constantly by now you need this, now you need that. I mean, I had had a weird thing happen in, I was living in Europe at the time and I just had in my mind that I was going to get a Rolex. I don't know why. It was 2015. The idea is, and I realized it, and that's why I never bought the watch, but I fought with it for about nine months. I really wanted one. And then I thought, well, why would I get a Rolex? Why don't I get a Patek Philippe? You know, That's more my whatever station in life. And I realized that we think of consumerism as a real coming of age. Oh, well, I'm successful now. I have to to achieve that landmark or to achieve that coming of age moment in a man's life, I have to get that Lamborghini or I have to get that Rolex or I have to get that other thing. And that's because we're consumer consumer beings now. We're not spiritual beings, or at least we're not raised to be spiritual beings. We're raised to be consumer beings. So, instead of thinking, oh, I I hit a big landmark in my life I should go do something else for my community or something else for, for the broader world. We always think about mm-hmm. what can I consume now to tell myself that I've made it.
1: And to tell others and to signal to others that I've made it as well, which uh, I, I fully understand. We're, we're tribal beings and we want to be, we want to represent ourselves and be seen in a certain way. I, I totally understand that. But I've been reflecting on it a lot lately really digging deep down into my own desires and asking why I also feel the need for certain things. And one of the the antidotes I've, I've found to that particular way of thinking is, well, it's a two part thing, actually. The first is do I really want people in my life who value me because of the things I have? Does that, is that really the type of person I want to attract in my life? And the second one is do I really want to be the type of person who bases his own self-worth on the things he owns? And the answer is, is no, pretty much all the time. So I still like nice things. I'm not, um, not someone who doesn't want to, to own quality nice things and enjoy some of the finer things in life, but I refuse to allow it to, to define me and drive me.
0: Yeah, real, I think real life has been an antidote for a lot of these feelings that I may have had at one time, because I'm kind of in the sweet spot where I've done well enough that my children don't have financial scarcity. So I, I don't, I can't feel like, okay, I never did anything, so to speak, with my life. And, but I've also been around obscene wealth. I've been around, you know, high, high degrees of wealth. And I can't think, of, once you achieve that level where you're not living in financial scarcity, I don't look at people who have all these things and think, wow, this person is a a great life. I want to swap with them. I see like I was talking to one guy who he's a very, very good person. And he we were talking about kids and he said, oh, yeah, my kids are all teenagers now. And that's the age they don't want to see you. And he said, now I'm looking back at my life on how when they were younger, I lost all that time because I was working so hard because in my own mind, I wanted to have a lot of money for them. But when they're little kids, a little kid doesn't give a shit, right? How much mm-hmm. money you have. Assuming you can provide, there's a house, the power, the power business, business going out. Again, it's the real financial scarcity, which not a lot of people in the Western world face. Is as, as long as that isn't there, your kid doesn't like give a shit that you made $500,000 a year mm-hmm. this year. What what can you actually give them? They want your time. They want your attention.
1: They want your presence. Yeah. Your, your attention is… Is the is the I think that's the word I've been I've been meditating on a lot lately. It's I think that's the most valuable the val- that is the most valuable and desired commodity in the 21st century is your attention, right? And that is what people are desperate for. And I notice it, you know, when I interact with someone and I give them my full attention, which means my phone is not something that's going to come between them and I, and I'm looking them in the eye and I'm
0: truly,
1: truly listening to what they have to say and I'm forming a connection with them, that is, it's like gold to them. I can see that they appreciate it. And I, I think that's an absolutely essential thing to do. I mean, if I come back to what, what happened with my ex-wife and I is I was working so hard to provide a, a future for her and I that uh, because she wasn't working, that I re- that I, looking at it now, I, I wasn't giving her the attention that she wanted, right? And it's a bit of a tough, it's a bit of a catch 22 that, you know, I was, I was not giving her attention, but ultimately doing that for her. And then it it backfired. If I just, you know, not worried so much about making the money and buying all the nice things and just, you know, spent more time with her and focused on her and her needs, things might've been very, very different. And so I think that's a, there's a valuable lesson in that for all for, for life, right. Which is that your relationships and your energy and your attention, like these are the valuable things, you know, your presence, and your peace of mind and the way you move through the world, these these are the gold, not, not the numbers on some imaginary piece of paper or the, the shiny car in the driveway.
0: Yeah, and that's the politically correct answer. There's also, though, a relationship pattern that I've seen over and over again in personal lives and other people's lives, where you know, one partner, usually the, the female partner. They want the man out there grinding, doing things, because they want to live a certain kind of life, and then they get mad when the person isn't there. That, yeah. right, I mean, that that cycle does repeat itself, where I don't see a lot of women, especially attractive women, saying, oh, I'll just be happy living in a burlap sack, and not not having anything, not having any kind of resources. Yeah. That's a completely acceptable way of life, so then the man feels the pressure to provide and create that life, but then now he's emotionally unavailable and we, we see that pattern over and over again.
1: Yeah, we really do. I was just speaking to a friend um, recently, very close friend of mine, one of my mentors actually a super successful guy and he's having issues with um, his significant other because you know he works 14 hour days he's, he's built this, this eight figure empire for. For him and his family and now he wants to to make sure that it's secure for forever so that this is what his words exactly where he's, he's trying to build this financial wall around his family that will protect them in, in any any circumstances and he gets home and he's so exhausted and tired and strung out and then his girlfriend always the mother of his child who's his girlfriend freaks out on him you know and I can get it. I see it from her point of view. Like if you've been raising the child the whole day and you've been on your own at home and you love this man and he comes home and he's just too exhausted to, to spend time with you or to be with you. I can feel how you would start to lose a connection to him, but it's, it doesn't mean it's fair. Right? It doesn't mean that that's, that's fair or, or rational. Uh, and I think as with everything else, it's a very like, Life for a man in the modern age is a very, very complex skill. It's a very complex skill. You can have it all, but it takes a huge amount of self-reflection and thought and constant adjustment and refinement and questioning and studying and trial and error and failure to get to the point where you have it all. I actually look at you as someone who seems to have done that, Mike. And um, yeah, kudos to you for doing that.
0: Well, thanks. I'm I'm not sure I'm there yet. I I do try, and just thinking about your friend, my guess would be that he's overestimating what financial security needs to look like for your children. That's the other mistake I think that men make is, you think, oh, I need to have millions of dollars saved for my kids, or what? Actually, you men over overestimate that to where, like my daughters, for example, they they have a certain amount of money that invested over time will lead them to have you know a few hundred thousand dollars when they're 18 or 19 and to me they, they still have to live their lives
1: mm-hmm. and
0: i think a lot of men think oh i got to make millions and millions of dollars that way they can go to whatever they can go to whatever university they want to go to and all of their material needs to be met but then all you're teaching them by doing that is that the whole world is material the whole world mm-hmm. is what money can buy the whole world is how much money you can have Whereas how I try to live with money and how I try to, to live, teach my children to live with money is that it's a it's a soft landing pad. It isn't that we want to make more money so that we can do more things or we can buy more things or I can have the watches and the new cars. Like I said, I, I buy my cars used and I drive them until I get the tax depreciation done. And then I get another car used and go through that cycle. So I do I do think that, and I don't know your friend' specifics, but having seen this a lot with a lot of men, I would I would say that they do exaggerate the amount, the number, so to speak, because I've seen a lot, I've seen this happen over and over again, too, especially as I get older, where men hit that so-called number. Okay, you have financial independence now. You don't ever have to work a job you don't ever want to do again. Now you still probably have to work, but you will never have to ethically compromise yourself for money. You will never have to psychologically or spiritually compromise yourself for money ever again for the rest of your life so you can choose your own work which is such a blessing. Mm -hmm. And they hit that number and no one says, oh, I hit that number. Thank God I finally did it. We're secure. I'm going to live off some of the interest now. I'm going to do some smart risk-averse investments here, get some dividends here, buy some municipal bonds which are are tax-deferred or tax-free. That transition doesn't really happen. It's go, 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 go. Yeah. And what I've noticed is, and I, I had this own problem with myself that I had to, to reconcile. It's what got you there. It's almost like it's, it's, good to, it's good that what got you there worked. And if what got you there worked, the last thing you want to hear is that maybe because you're at a higher level of the mountain, you need a different set of skills you need a different set of priorities you need to rebalance no how dare you tell me anything i'm a success i'm a world beater look at all these accomplishments that i have and the answer is uh, yeah for sure <laughs> for sure this, this is all objectively true but it could be that those patterns aren't serving you anymore
1: oh uh, absolutely what there's a i think it's the title of a book if i'm not mistaken it's called what what got you what got you here won't get you there um and it expresses the same sentiment. You know, sometimes you've got to, I think this is another thing that, that we as men, I know I, this was a very big lesson for me. It was a, a real come to Jesus moment for me because I had lived a large part of my life, especially my, my 20s, believing that all these metrics of success, like a, a healthy, strong body and a, a functioning business and a relationship and all these things we strive for as, as men, are almost set set, uh, frozen in time so once you get in good shape it's cool you can check that box or once you found the, the nice uh, the attractive cool partner you check that box once you built the business and made the money you check that box and then you're cool those are taken care of but it's it's not it's this constant um, it's like a wave that you're riding that constantly requires adjustment and reflection, and questioning, and charting a new course, and yeah, I think that, that ties into what you're saying. It's like, as a man, you're always paying your dues, always. It doesn't it doesn't end, right? It's, it's this continual process of reinvention and um, and growth.
0: Well, it's rebalancing, and that's exactly what you're mentioning, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and people say, well, how do I find a, a work-life balance? And I go, you're never going to be balanced. It's always going to be off balance. So if you're getting that hot body, you're probably not committed to business the way you should be, or you're probably not committed to something else, or you're a man and you get that hot body and you're in a good relationship, but now women maybe start to flirt with you and they make a lot of overt sexual overtures. And as you Mm -hmm. become successful and prominent and you have a a good physique now, well, now you have to learn how to deal with temptation. Now you have to deal with your own feelings of, is this partner I have, oh, is she good enough? I could go jump into bed with this other girl, or I could go date these five other girls. Why I'm only dating one girl. And you're, you're constantly rebalancing your life all the time. And you are, you are always riding the wave. And there's always going to be some instability. It's rare where everything is sort of good, right? Where your health is good. Your relationships are good. Your money's good. Everything is just good. But even when that happens, what 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 what's the um, demon that comes? And the demon says it's all going to be taken away from you, which creates <laughs> anxiety, fear, paranoia. No, now I have to work harder to keep what yeah. I have because I might lose all of this. It's a it's a torment I think forever unless you are aware of these emotions and try to balance them out a little bit. Yeah,
1: and then there's a second demon which is complacency and boredom, right? When everything, I mean, you've uh, one of the things I reflect on a lot is that that line in the in the Matrix. When Agent Smith is saying, you know, the first Matrix we built was a paradise. It was absolutely perfect, and no one wanted for anything, but it failed. People just went. People went crazy when they were in it. And um, I, I often think to myself, maybe that is as actually a a feature, not a bug, of the human experience. That the feature being that it full contentment is never really possible because otherwise there'd be no tension. There'd be there'd be no tension of opposites. There'd be no drive for us to grow and expand and evolve, right? We'd all just, you know, sit on our sit on our huge lazy boys with our 75-inch televisions while our grandchildren sat at our knees and our wives fawned over us and we counted all the money in our bank account. And like, sure, that sounds in theory amazing, but you would probably be bored out of your mind with that, right?
0: And then the entropy of the world would set in, you would start to get sick, unhealthy, your body would, yeah. right. There's no, that. that's the beauty of accepting our condition in a way, which is that if you don't, that's why I always tell people when they, because I, for me, you know, you come from a physical culture, I come from physical culture, and then you get in this world where men, it's almost like they're from a different planet from you. Well, I, can't, how do you get motivated to go to the gym? I don't, I don't even know how to sometimes answer some of these questions because it's so outside of my, my just way of living. And what I've settled on is that you can think that you're not going to go to the gym and be lazy, but your body has things going on. You're going to get osteoarthritis. You're going to get atherosclerosis. You're probably going to have a heart attack or stroke. You're going to have erectile dysfunction. Your your body, your body is going to be doing something one way or another. And it's about seizing your physical health. And yet there's a certain, I think, unsatisfactoriness to that answer because there are just certain things as a man, I can't, um, Matt, like I can't, a man who doesn't go to the gym or do some kind of physical exercise. I'm, I'm not going to say that's not a man because I've, I've gotten way past the point in my life where I'm obsessed with what does it mean to be a man and who's a man and who isn't and who's alpha and who's beta. I've gone way <laughs> past that point. To me, it's just alien. Like I don't, under, you don't go to the gym. Okay. I don't, I don't understand. You don't do cardio or you don't, Take hikes. You don't lift weights. I don't even understand what's going on in your mind. You're—it's almost like they're a again a foreign or alien species to me.
1: Yeah, uh, actually, I devote a whole chapter in my recent book to that. The title of the chapter is "Master Your Physicality," and the point that I, I make in that chapter is that we are physical beings in a physical dimension. Right? We're also spiritual beings, but the fact of the matter is, first and foremost, we are physical beings. You're having a physical experience, so that physical experience is largely reliant on the vehicle that you're using to navigate it, which is your body, right? Your Uh physicality. So you have to, you owe it to yourself as a, as a a human being that wants to be fully actualized and get the most out of this experience to maintain and master that vehicle to the the highest possible degree. And I'm I'm the same as you. I just, when I see people who just don't give a fuck about their, their bodies, it's, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it either. It's alien to me, as you said.
0: And I guess, yeah, that's alien to, there's so many things that are alien to me now about how people live in lives. And probably that's again, due to my own, the more, the more I curate my life or shelter my life, because I found that there's a dissatisfaction when you engage with the world with too much, because you see people living in a way that doesn't make any sense to you. And you can either fight that or try to change the world which I don't I've given up on. <laughs> or you can or or you can try to find gratitude in your own life. And I guess that's a little bit of a digression because the the point we we're talking about is balancing gratitude, everything that you have, everything that you've accomplished with aspiration, with wanting more, with wanting to keep moving forward. I think that's the, the biggest challenge as a man always will be. I, I'm. I want more, and it's good to want more. It's good to desire more, even though desiring, if you studied Buddha or anything, it makes a lot of sense. Desiring is suffering, and the, the answer that I've come to this, and I probably come to this through plant medicine and through other means, not through my own invention or creation, is that desire does lead to suffering. But why are we afraid of suffering? Right? Suffering. Sure. It's the growth. Suffering is where we come out the other end, hopefully better or hopefully more enlightened. It's okay to desire. It's okay to not achieve your dreams. It's okay to have a little bit of suffering.
1: It's okay inside. to fail.
0: Yeah, it's, it's okay. And mm. that's how you balance gratitude because as long as you're here, as long as you're still in the ride, then you still have gratitude for where you are and what you're achieving.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Mike. I wanted to if it's not something you've already um, overly discussed on your show, uh, just speak to you a little bit about that. You mentioned that you had a very uh, challenging but also illuminating experience with plant medicine recently, and I, I wanted to know if that would be something you'd willing to be willing to share in this in this conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've talked openly about plant medicine and the experiences, and they are, you, I mean, you know, you've been through them. They're all completely challenging because mm-hmm. you. Uh, you go through the whole panoply of human emotion, love, loss, suffering, pain. And then you come out, usually you're hopefully a little bit better, or at least more enlightened, or at least you have a better understanding of the world or your place in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought mean, that I was interesting. Yeah, I thought, well, I thought it was interesting. We were talking because the first time i had ever heard of ayahuasca was from you on on the infamous podcast that shall not be named <laughs> although although I did see your i saw your interview with um, rebel wisdom or something like that, and i I don't want us to digress to to gossip necessarily but i I felt about that person you were talking about I felt the same way that you felt about him, which is there's there's just not a lot behind that person, and that's when I see that person, I see someone very insecure and I feel petty uh, more than anything else for that person.
1: Agreed. In fact, um, one, of, one of my very close friends said to me once, he said, Nick, one day, because uh, the truth is now I, I, w- I was very hurt with the way that relationship ended for a long time, but now I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I got away from that person when I did because if I'd stayed with him, my, my reputation would probably be in tatters as his is now. And a friend of mine said to me, he said, Nick, one day you will be as grateful that things ended with your ex-wife as you are that things ended, that that particular relationship ended. And I'm not there yet, but every day I get a little bit closer to that. I guess what I what I wanted to ask you, um, Mike, is specifically, I, I know you had, if I'm not mistaken, you had a, a recent experience that was one of the most profound and deepest of all your your journeys. And, and that's something I, I truly enjoy hearing about is uh, those, those paradigm-shattering, mind-bending ones that you're just never the same after. Like, it, it, am I am I confused, or did you have one like that recently?
0: No, no, no. Yeah, I just I always change dates and times for you know various reasons. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay, yes, so. I never use recent or past or because okay. when when you go under, you're in it, your, your time doesn't exist anyway. So I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't temporally represent them here. But yeah. So for me, what was was shattering is. Go, you know, going in, I like the contrast between what you're going in worried about in this realm, and then what you worry about when you're in the realm. And here's what I mean. So go going in, I was my taxes were filed wrong. I owed like way more than we thought. It was like a ton of money. It was like a huge amount of money. And I'm going in just completely stressed out. Like, what am I going to do? I, like, where did this come from? And so I'm, I'm going in all stressed about money, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought that when I went under, that's what would come up. And then of course you go under, or at least in, in my case, I go under. And none of that surfaces. None of that, None of that comes up. Nothing that you're worried about in this realm comes up because your spirit actually doesn't care. Your soul doesn't care. So what came up for me was I saw my uh, children being taken away from me by wow. the universe. And that was all I cared about was being with my family, was being with my children. I felt completely alone. How, how would I describe it? So, okay. So imagine you and I run a hike and we're hiking in Cape Town because South Africa gets a bad reputation in Western media. They're dangerous parts, but just like they're dangerous parts in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're hiking, and the worst case happens where 10 people surround you and put an AK-47 up to your face. And you, th- you are convinced that you're going to die. And everything about that situation says, in that very moment, you are going to die. What would you think about? And in a conscious realm, that's a very hard experiment, You can think of it's a useful experiment to have. What would you say? There really is. Imagine that there's somebody has a gun up to your head right now. They're going to pull the trigger. That's it. If you're honest with yourself, you're going to think about love. You're going to think about all of the people that you love that you're never going to see again. You're going to wonder how they're going to live their lives without you. You're going to worry about them. And then now the gun goes away, but then we go back to the world. And what are we worried about? Well, I'm worried about some friend gossiped about me, and that person isn't showing me the gratitude. And I'm not getting the attention that I deserve here. I'm not getting the recognition that I'm deserve here. I'm I don't have the money that I have here. I don't right. That's mm-hmm. where a mind goes as you interact with this world. It's all about am I getting ego boosts? Am I True. getting but you don't even want the validation because if you're honest if there's a gun to your head you're not going through your own mind i wish that i had gotten more recognition in my life i wish that i had gotten more blah 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 in my life you're all you're thinking about is love you're thinking you're never going to have love again you're never going to feel love you're never going to express love and then that turns into a deep sorrow and sadness for all of the people in your life and you think how are my daughters going to be? Or how is my wife going to be? Or how are my friends going to react to this? And that, for me, shifted, n- not necessarily my priorities, but it was a reminder that as cliche as everybody says it is, that love is all that matters. On a fundamental spiritual level, you ha- yes, you have, because people say, well, if you don't have money, you can't pay for And we all know this, right? That's where I- I've noticed that when I mentioned these things, and and I write about them openly, you can see the ego mind, which is my ego mind, because we're all the same ego mind comes out, which is, oh, love is the answer. You a hippie. Or, oh, you say love is the answer. That's a cliche. Okay, sure it is. Do Do you live with love? How much love are you giving people on a daily life? How much love are you receiving? Do you believe that you're worthy of love? Or maybe you're putting up barriers around yourself because deep down, you have a vulnerability or a feeling of self-worth that makes you feel like you don't deserve love, and I've, yeah. so I've 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 i wrestled with that extensively and in a way that, as you know, feels like centuries, decades, thousands of years, and not not just a few hours, not just one <laughs> night. And and I came out really fully committed to all this success bullshit I've had, all this you know, people attacking me, stuff that I have. It it all just is insignificant to the point that it's laughable, but it isn't a laugh that's arrogant. It isn't a laugh that says I'm above it all. It isn't a laugh that says I'm so high and mighty. It's a laugh that says how fucking stupid is all this bullshit, (laughs) right?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, as lessons go, that sounds like it was a pretty good one, man. Um. Yeah, and I, I just... I really agree with everything you said. Like, there you've heard that cliched or that that reference to that that study that's been thrown around forever, which is um, that nurse in Australia. She was working in a hospice, and uh, she she would ask people on their deathbeds what their biggest regrets were, and her research was subsequently compiled into um, uh, a piece called "Top Five Regrets of the Dying," and no one ever said. I I wished I'd made more money or I wished I'd spent I'd spent more time at work it was all things like I wish I hadn't worked so hard or I wished I'd spent more time with my family or I don't know I think you'd, you you would you were given that lesson before the end right you didn't have to wait to you, your your last gasp to be able to come to that lesson you were given it halfway through your life which is a huge blessing and it sounds like you've really internalized it
0: well and that's where and that's where the lesson is here right there's because one of the people that we you know we, we know who, who does that show he talks about plant medicine too and you mentioned this on that re, that rebel wisdom shows it's you, the homework that you do you have to do here because it's one thing to get that realization when you're in a state of people call it I don't believe it's a hallucination I believe this is the hallucination but regardless let's just take the the classic Western scientific, minority of thought that we're ingrained to believe, okay, you go in, you hallucinate and you come out, you're not hallucinating anymore. You're back in the world. Okay. But mm-hmm. there's homework. The homework now is how do you live with love? H- how do you live with love? Right? That's the homework. That's where you have to apply it every day in your life. And that's what I ask myself. Okay. I'm, I'm frustrated with my kid or I'm frustrated with this situation. Why though? Usually it yeah. isn't because there's actual danger. Usually it's just because our way of reconstructing the world or our way of engaging with the world is being shifted, but that's just ego. Oh, who who cares how all these other people are doing things unless there's an actual physical danger, because that's, again, the balance of it all is that if you try to kick my door down and take my kids, it isn't going to be about woo-woo love. We're all one (laughs) kind of people. There's going to be a, there's going to be a different reaction to that. But that same Ego that keeps us alive in this world becomes very petty and overbearing. It becomes oppressive. I'm annoyed with that. Per- Why are you annoyed with that person? What are they actually really doing? What, what is that person actually doing wrong? And when you think about it, nothing. Just for whatever reason, it bothers me.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I've also found that, you know, the it's been eight months now uh, since I went through that very challenging And I still have days where I wake up and I'm I'm angry, right? And I have these recursive thoughts about like, you know, there's a couple of people in my life that things have that business relationships and and romantic relationships where things have not gone the way I envisioned they were gonna go or not got gone the way I intended for them to go. And I get angry and I I start saying in my mind, you know, fuck that person and how could they do this? And their behavior was disgraceful and it's such a paradox because I know that that thinking and the energy that it brings with it is not going to get me where I want to go. But at the same time, shutting that out and and shutting it down is also doing yourself a disservice because that is a part of you that is obviously crying for attention and expression. It's usually the wounded child that that is causing those types of thoughts. And a lot of the self-help literature and the woo-woo spiritual crap has taught us over the last several years that. You know, you should never have negative thoughts. You should never give in to your ego. Or you should never entertain um, negativity towards another person. And I'm, I'm realizing that that's bullshit. That's just total bullshit. Like if these things are being expressed, it's because they need to be expressed. You know, as long as you don't act on them and as long as you don't let them take, take you over and seep into who you are and, and cause permanent bitterness and resentment, it's actually quite healthy to to feel them and express them and allow them uh, temporarily at least. And that's that paradox that, that we that I've come to. It's, it's been my experience in life that at the highest level of any domain, whether it be thought or um, physical activity or business or relationships or whatever it might be at the highest level, you will always find this inherent paradox. Right. And that's one of them that I've been learning to live with over the past couple of years.
0: Well, yeah, I, that was a a big lesson. You mentioned that, that letting it come out. There's, I think the answer to that is you, you want to just sit with the energy, but as you become more spiritually aware or, you know, use plant medicine more, you learn the channels are open now because what happens with the negative thought patterns is, most of our energy is, and I can't believe I talk like this, but once you've once you've been with the medicine for you know a, a period of time, over the course of your life, everything that you would laugh at, especially if you're a a big strong guy, beats people up and knows how to handle himself or train BJJ or whatever, you realize you know it's kind of funny because because I noticed when I think about these things, I would judge people who talk like that and think, what a fucking pussy, you know, what kind of fucking (laughs) pussy talks like that. And here I am, I'm the giant fucking pussy. Now, (sighs) now at this point in my life, but there, there really is so much truth to what happens is that it's not that the negative thought patterns are a problem. It's that when you couple that with how our trauma is so internalized that we don't know how to feel, we don't know how to process emotions, we have trauma blocking in, in a way our arteries, our spiritual arterial system. Mm-hmm. Then it just builds up and it becomes cancer. And one thing I've learned from you know plant medicine is when I get that negative energy, I I do just I sit with the energy, but I don't bring that energy to my family. I don't bring that energy to my friends and family. I go away and I just let it flow through me. And there are times where I'll just lay down and go be and I'll cry but but i that's not something that i could have done before the plant medicine instead i would just be did that motherfucker you know i'm going to get my revenge on him and then not realizing as i walk into my house i'm now in a mood i'm a fucking mood now and your kids are like whoa dad what did we do wrong and now they're blaming themselves thinking that they're somehow responsible for your fucking mood when really that was you allowing your own thoughts to spiral out of control which is because your emotional and spiritual channels aren't fully open. So as they open up, you you want that to come up, but then you want it to be able to release from your body as well.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's the, the art of letting go. Right. And it's, uh, man, it's, it's such a, it's such a difficult skill to master. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been trying for years now, and sometimes I think I have it and I know I'm getting better at it, but, other times today was one of them today I just woke up fucking angry playing over stuff in my head and <laughs> I've used all the Jedi mind tricks and sat with it and tried to to feel it and let those channels be flushed and let the let the energy dissipate and, and be felt fully but uh, it's still not easy man it's still not easy and I guess um, why should it why should I expect it to be easy some things in life aren't easy and that's that's something to be internalized as well.
0: Yeah, one, and that's the idea though. It's like your BJJ black belt is BJJ easy when you go to the gym and you have an athletic purple belt, right? Not a chance. Right. Not a chance. Right. So the idea is like every time I go to the gym, especially as you get older, I'm like, yeah, this is just going to suck. Whereas when you're, you know, you're in your early 20s, early 30s, you get in, you're gassed in, you got veins popping everywhere. Oh my God, this is, it feels good. It's like natural. And then as you get older, just, being normal or just maintaining what you have is a slog and you know that it's going to be a slog that that's sort of how I think with a lot of the, the spiritual stuff is no, it's not, it's not going to be easy. Every day is going to be a struggle. Every moment is going to be a struggle, but why should, why should it be otherwise? And what a blessing it is that we have tools because the difference between us is when it's hard and we're in a slog, at least we have the awareness now to know. And then you think about all the people who don't know. Well, that's why they act the way they act because they're not even on a level of awareness to know that something's going on. We might be on on a level of awareness where maybe we can't control everything. And then the question would be, well, why do we feel like we need to control everything all the time? Why do we feel like it should be that easy to just turn a switch? But at least we're there. Whereas most of the people you interact with in the world are feeling what you're feeling, but they don't even know that that isn't the way that you have to feel, or that's not even the way that they want to feel. And now they're going to lash out at you. So when I, yeah, I, mean, it's, I, I don't think I'm fortunate yeah. to
1: have to have discovered or stumbled upon these tools and, you know, to be aware and open-minded enough to, to question. I think it, it comes back to that quote, right? Um, the un, the unexamined life is not worth living. I'm not sure who said it. I think it was one of the, the, the Greek fathers of philosophy. Um, but it's, it's a, it is a great boon to be able to distance yourself from your ego and, and look at it objectively and not be lost in it and know that, okay, I'm really angry with this person. I don't need to lash out and send them a scathing letter. I can sit on my, or lie on my bed and close my eyes and just feel this negative feeling in its entirety and let it play out. And, you know, these things are all, I'm, I'm grateful for them. Um, I really am, <laughs> truly.
0: That's another, I think, lesson too. There, there's so many lessons from, from medicine that you get over the years. And that's why I, I remember, I think the first, no, I know for a fact, the first time I was ever with you, we did it. And I know that I'd, I'd met people along the way who said, oh, they did ayahuasca 50 times. And I was thought, why would you do it 50 times, right? And you and you realize, no, I mean, over the course of 10, 20 years, you could see that because you're like in- It's like to to be a real martial artist, generally, what what are you, 10 years, right? If you really want to be a a black belt in something, and that's regularly consistent training multiple times a week. So if you want to be a black belt in spirituality, there's at least 10 years, right, of showing up, of showing up.
1: It it, it comes back to that that thing I mentioned earlier in, in our conversation, Mike, which is, that I don't even think it works like that. I don't think, okay, after 10 years, cool, you get your, your black belt and you're good to go. You know, I think it's, again, there's that, that never ending balance point or that constantly shifting balance point that you're seeking to attain. There never comes a point where you're like, okay, cool. I've got this thing handled. It's, it's constant, never ending practice. You know, I saw that as, as a black belt. I stopped training for a year when I was a third degree black belt. I just was a bit burnt out and i I just stopped training. I was like, I want to give it a break. And when I came back, my skills had atrophied massively. And it, it, it again, made me understand that you're always paying your dues, man. Like it's, it's, a, it's, there is no, there is no point frozen in time where you have arrived and you don't need to continue doing the work and continue putting the time in or continue reflecting. It's, it's a, it's a flow, you know, like what's that, it, That um, there's an expression by Heraclitus, one of my favorite Greek philosophers, which he says that uh, I think the, the Greek expression is Tina Ray, which means everything flows. And he also said something else, which is no man can step into the same river twice because the river is always changing and always flowing. It's, it's never the same river. And that's just something you have to accept about the nature of, being human is that we're in this constantly flowing river that we have to constantly adapt to and flow with and, and navigate. It's, it's never, I have arrived. I've achieved this. I'm a expert in business. I'm an expert in martial arts. I've got my relationship handled. It's all taken care of. It just doesn't work that way as much as we want it to. And um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to accept, but I'd rather know the truth than, than live under the assumptions of a lie.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of glad it's not though. I've, that was, I think another reason I was, I was called to the medicine so much is in, in life, like I've, I've, in life, I have a black belt. Like I've, I've seen a lot, I've done a lot of objective achievements and I like, I like being a beginner again, that to me that added so much richness to my life that I didn't. And the medicine even told me that during one experiences, it would show me these amazing realizations Crystallized aha moments, and then it would take it away, and then it would show it to me again, and then take it away, and it would. And I was wondering because but when you go through these loops, time loops. You're always thinking, okay, there's something there that I need to focus on. And the 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 lesson that I got from that was, imagine how boring life would be if you had everything right now, and I told you all of the secrets of the universe. And I you think nothing. about that
1: often. I think yeah. that exact thought very often. Yeah, um, you've watched. I'm sure you've seen The Watchmen, right? That uh, that movie, that superhero yeah. movie. You know, one of my favorite characters is Doctor Manhattan, who is just. I mean, if you look at the the pantheon of superheroes across all the different brands Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, all of them, Doctor Manhattan is arguably the most powerful because he has this infinite. I mean he's this quantum being he has infinite intelligence omniscience omnipresence he can do everything i mean he makes superman look like a child right? and i often thought to myself that would be so cool to be dr manhattan but the more i think about it the more i realize what a massive curse that would be because there's then there's no mystery left to the game and there's no challenge left to the game and maybe that's again as i said it's a it's a feature not a bug that life is challenging and it is constantly shifting. And it's like, again, my, another analogy I use is video games. If you played a video game that, if, if you play a video game, you get sick of it eventually because you conquer it and it hasn't changed, right? It's the same, like you start the game again and you might have fun the second time, but the third or the fourth time, you're like, man, this is fucking boring. I want, I want something new, I want a new challenge. And life, that's one of the beauties of life. I think whatever or whoever created this simulation, that's what it built into it is this the fact that it is constantly changing and evolving and growing and you're never stepping in the same river twice. You're never playing the same game twice.
0: And for guys like us, and I always think about that too, when, when you do the medicine is we're so privileged and so fortunate and so blessed. We don't feel that way because everything with our mind is hardwired to relative social status well, what this person had or investments I sold the demon you know the demons creep in on me. Well, why did I sell that investment at that point in time? And I had that opportunity and I didn't take it. It's it's gone for like two minutes though because you realize we are like we are so blessed. We're not powerless children in some other place, right? There's so, mm-hmm. there's so many other ways that, and that's I think how I balance a lot of these these issues: the gratitude and the the need for more is I, I feel like it's a, a burden and then I was actually told that during one experience was is it, it, the, the burden I think of being a man is that we're able to take the burden and you have to have a burden and you have to seek more and that's the only way that you can become a man and that's your endless task of masculinity is having that burden and moving forward
1: absolutely man absolutely and
0: uh, let's carry it with courage and gratitude and appreciation. Because again, the more tools you get and and it, it it's like, yeah, you you're never you've never like, okay, I'm arrived and I never but a black belt is still better than a purple belt. A purple belt <laughs> is still not a white belt. Yeah, right?
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd rather not, be I'd rather be the white, the black belt with the beginner mind than the white belt with beginner mind. To be honest, yeah,
0: yeah, it's not your first day and you're spazzing around and you don't you don't know understand. It's fun, I got my daughter in BJJ actually, so it's so fun to just watch a little four year old and the the four year old classes how how they learn all their moves. And I remember the first day, and I meant to do a podcast on this, and I forgot to. It was. You, you just you got to learn the moves man uh, there's so much you because I've never I was never some elite BJJ guy never never would be or elite athlete of any kind but there there are just there is a sense of they're just moves okay someone's on top of you in the mount okay like you pen their leg you grab the shoulder you bridge to the right and now you're like not in the mount what if the other guy knows him? well don't worry about if the other guy knows the moves right And so much of life and spirituality is that there are moves. There are just moves to these things that everyone can and should learn.
1: Absolutely. And as I say in in, – I can't remember where I wrote this. I don't think it was one of my books. I think it was in an article I wrote, but that, you know, there are secrets. There are secrets, and there are vastly superior ways to move through life than than others, right? And just because the game – is constantly evolving and never ending doesn't mean that there aren't better ways to play it, right? Uh, and I'm always, as I know you are, looking for those better ways. And I guess that's the foundation of my life's work is, is finding these, in jiu-jitsu, they're called techniques and concepts, and it's the same with life. There's techniques, there's there's concepts, there's moves, There's there's knowledge that can help you do things in a more efficient manner, and that will result in better outcomes. And I'm always looking for those, and then trying to share them.
0: Yeah, there just there are moves, and it it is better. And you but you lose sight of that though, as you learn more of the moves. I think it's called the curse of knowledge as a concept where you you learn so much that like two things happen. One is you don't understand how little people know, and two is you don't understand how much you've learned. To you, you're like God. I don't know anything. Which I guess is a nice beginner's mind to have, but no, just objective, objectively, like you do. Think back to, you know, day day one of school or day one of jujitsu or day one of business or day one of relationships, where you didn't even know how to go up and approach someone, maybe in a social situation, or you didn't even know how to do a, a basic escape. You learn all of that, and then you think, God, I don't really know anything. Because why? Because some, because other people have moves. The world has moves. We're we're not. It's not just us. That's where video games maybe do us a disservice. Is. We think everybody has moves and you figure out their moves and now we know the game, but other people have moves, their moves are changing and everything's evolving all the time. And that doesn't mean that we should feel like we've ever arrived because you you will never truly arrive. But it is helpful, I think, for your psyche, for your own self love to think back to how far you've come. And how you didn't know any moves at all and to yeah. reflect on what you have now.
1: Yeah, I have this document that I, I refer to every morning, which um, it has a list of my accomplishments and victories uh, over the course of my life. And, and I guess accomplishments, victories, and things that I overcame. And I reflect on it often. And it it really, it galvanizes me to, to face life and to to operate at my best because it reminds me that, you know, I've done some pretty cool stuff and uh, I think everyone should should be doing that because it changes the way you see yourself. You know, like if you have a victim mindset or you know, you, you think of yourself as a loser or whatever it might, whatever negative mindset you might be harboring at the time, if you if you refer to this list of all these these victories and these conquests and these uh, things you've learned and done, it it neutralizes that. And I, I think that's a cool little skill.